3: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Hope you had a fantastic weekend. We're back in action today. and It is a U.N. week. we got a privilege to have a lot of great people in studio, one of which to my immediate right, if you're watching on Fox Nation, you recognize him, Montana Congressman, former Secretary of the Interior, Ryan Zinke's here, and that Navy SEAL thing is also on your resume. Bottom of the hour, right after that, uh, former CIA Director, Secretary of State, Uh, Number one in his class at West Point, Mike Pompeo will be here. And who knows? He might even be uh, running with Donald Trump. Before we get to the congressman from Montana, let's get to the big three.
4: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three.
5: Number three.
4: We've asked for 40% pay increases. And the reason we asked for 40% pay increases is because Mm -hmm. in the last four years alone, the CEO pay went up 40%. They're already millionaires.
3: Wow. And that is the UAW. Why I think the auto workers strike uh, means a lot more to the rest of the country almost as much as it means to those men and those women on strike. We'll discuss
6: number two.
5: The one thing American public has to understand is there's a strategy behind everything. We only mm-hmm. follow facts. Hunter
4: Biden will get subpoenaed, but when's the appropriate time?
3: Right. Uh, Why I believe the impeachment inquiry is legit. It's about finding the truth and Biden loyalists stopping documents and evidence. If they just let those documents go, they wouldn't need to do the inquiry.
7: Number one.
5: Uh, the Republicans are going to be uh, shoot themselves in the foot in, run, in the run-up to the 2024 election if they continue to think that shutdowns are a great way to put themselves in front of the American people.
3: The shutdown averted? Perhaps. Maybe, maybe not. A framework was released that would extend the budget talks for at least to the end of October. We're going to examine the terms of that deal and why all the posturing has to stop. And guess what? You chose to go back into this, <laughs> Congressman <Cogleton dinky,
8: laughs> yeah. Now we're talking shutdown again. What day is it? All right. Well, you know, uh, I, I remain a Reagan optimist. And and look, I came to town in, in D.C. back to do two things. One, curb the spending and get, and get rid of the woke. And we all agreed as a Republican caucus that we would we would go back to regular order and we do the hard work in appropriations. So uh, so I don't get it why anyone would vote against, the say, a Holman appropriation bill. That you know people ask me, what does that bill look like? It's about thirty-two feet tall and about a thousand miles long. We we restore the the border patrol, we give ICE, we give them the incentives, we give them the rules of engagement to shut down the border. If you if you think this is okay for border, then vote against that bill. But we gotta get the appropriation bills uh passed and, and look at defense. You know, the I, I understand the argument in Ukraine. Personally, I would segregate out Ukraine dollars and ask for two things. And, and, Brian, I've been in a lot of wars in my life, and I have. and I've never even been in an operation without objectives and right. a plan. So give me a plan where objectives are in Ukraine. Uh, show, me, show me a plan how to get there, and then, and then we'll match the resources. But a blank check is never a good idea. Just,
3: uh, I, I do want to get into Ukraine separately, but I want to ask you this. Uh, this is what I woke up to today. Uh, the, uh, the House... GOP strikes an internal deal to avert the government shutdown until October 31st. I talked to you and Mike Walsh this morning. Say so you just got it. it's over 100 pages uh, already. Scott Perry says this is good. Already we hear Matt Rosendale from your state. This is bad. You have very little margin for ever. Steve Scalise is going through cancer surgery. A couple of people paternity, so you can't have anybody not sign on. To well, this.
8: look, it, and why do you come to D.C. if your answer is no before you get here? So we agreed we'd go through the appropriation process. And I think, you know, we've got veterans all the way through. So we kept veterans whole. We raised defense three. Do I think we ought to reorganize? Absolutely. Uh, And and then Homeland. If defending our country is not important to you, if securing the border is not important to you, and keeping our vets whole is not important, then vote no. But but yeah, look, I'm all for you. Got to pass the appropriation bills, and even a handful. Send them over to the Senate. If they don't pick if the Senate doesn't pick them up. Hey, you know what? We'll shut down the the government to the degree we can. But I can tell you, there's a lot of people that are going to get hurt. How about the E5 that doesn't have his paycheck? You know that means he's got probably going to miss his rent. He's probably going to miss a car payment. His 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 family's going to suffer. Do you really want to shut down the government and and restrict and the E5 pay? Not me. I want to fix the government and and let 's get through the appropriation bills send over to the but Senate why did,
3: why wasn 't it why, why did the Senate do theirs, and you guys not do yours?
8: I think the senate 's you know quite frankly is scared that the House may actually get something done as we did with the debt ceiling was it was it as big as I wanted? no, but we got something done, and now the appropriations again, the two objectives curb the spending, get rid of the woke. and it was like a tea party celebration in appropriations because we were throwing everything everything woke overboard. Do you really think? that the military should be paying for sex change operations and hormone therapy? I can tell you the answer is no. Right. Uh, but
3: that's what something Joe Biden's proud of. Uh, here's Democratic Senator Mark Warner, cut three. So
0: you believe we are headed for a government shutdown? I would like to say no, but we're eight or nine days away, and we've not even been able to see the House pass the most basic defense appropriations bills. Mm-hmm. I hope and pray that uh, Speaker McCarthy will say, hey, I'm going to throw over the far right, and I'm going to put together a bipartisan effort with the Democrats and mainstream Republicans to keep the government funding. I think that would get, again,
3: 350, 400 votes. Your reaction?
8: Well, number one, on, on the House appropriation bills, we didn't get a lot of help uh, on bipartisanship. Matter of fact, I, I think we got zero, maybe one or two votes. But by and large, the appropriation bills are a Republican product, and we got to get them out of Republican House. You know, step one. And then they go to the Senate and you and battle things out back and forth. But, you know, among the Republican caucus, those few that will vote for nothing, even though we all agreed we're going to go through the process, we'll see. You know, I'm an optimist. Uh, this, a lot of it's theater. I think this week is going to kind of determine the trailer, uh, so to speak, whether we're going to have a horror film or a drama or whatever. We'll, we'll get through it. And I think there's a lot of us that, hey, we were sent to D.C., curb the spinning, get rid of the woke. That's what the appropriation bills do. And let's go forward.
3: Here's what Hakeem Jeffrey said about you guys. Cut 10.
9: This is an illegitimate impeachment inquiry. It's a product of the House Republican Civil War. Why in the world, in the middle of all the issues that we are trying to tackle, all of the problems that we are trying to solve on behalf of the American people, would House Republicans inject this
3: illegitimate impeachment inquiry? So he says <laughs> it's a sideshow and you guys are well, in a civil war.
8: There's one thing called big old truth. So this is what we know, as we we've uncovered. And look, we're in a lot different position than what we were, you know, at the beginning of the year. So now, now we have this shells number of LOCs. We know the money came into them. We know the oligarchs. We know China. We know all these people. Suspicious that Suspicious activity in. reports, one hundred and fifty by the and, treasury. And then what's important on an inquiry? Remember, the house itself can only investigate things that are legislative. And so you, you, you're, you're, the House cannot investigate wrongdoing unless there's a legislative. So up to now, you have the three generals at them. you have Smith, Comer, and Jordan, all have gone to, to where there's evidence and follow the money. So the next step is, as an inquiry, then we can get personal bank records and see if the money came from one of the oligarchs to the LLC and then was distributed to President Biden himself. It you know all roads lead to Rome. That's where the inquiry is there, and it's about truth and transparency. And I think we got our our best generals on it. And then when they tell me it's time to impeach, I'll you know I'll listen to them. They told me it's time for for an impeachment inquiry. It Gives them the authority to do it. I'm a hundred percent behind
3: it. All right. So Ukraine, fifty eight percent of the American public polled by CBS disapprove of the way Joe Biden is handling Ukraine.
8: Hey, no surprise on that. Look, look at Afghanistan and everything else that this team's done.
3: Um. They thought it was going to fall in three days. Now we're, uh, we're over a year, and now we're going to head into another winter session. We end up giving them the Patriot. We said we wouldn't. We end up giving them High Mars. We said we wouldn't. We're going to end up giving them 31 tanks. They haven't arrived yet. We, we said we're not going to give them F-16s. We're training them. Somebody else has given them. What is the theory behind slow walking the weapon systems that we eventually give while people die in the interim?
8: Well, Brian, this is the problem I have. You know, I've been to a lot of battles in my life, and I have. And I haven't even been on one operation that didn't have objectives and a plan. And I've asked the highest levels, what are the objectives and what's the plan? Is the objective, for say, to weaken Russia? Well, I think, I think Russia's weakened. Is the objective to take the Crimean Peninsula, uh, which to a Russian perspective it would be analogous to taking back the – the Mississippi River that's Russia's only warm water port so what are our objectives but they didn't deserve
3: it they just stole it back they well, could yeah, well, yeah, the to the region,
8: but but I want to know I think the American people want to know look we're 140 or 30 billion dollars into it we're sending cluster bombs and indiscriminate weapons systems o- over there. What's the end state? And I, I don't believe in a blank check. So I, I believe America and Congress needs the answers from this administration. Right. What are the objectives and what's the plan well, to get
3: there? W- let's just look at the positives. Here's the positives. Number one, NATO came together and got two more very quality, top quality countries that are not going to be a burden on NATO. They're an asset, Norway and Sweden, not in Finland. Next, um, uh, the, other, uh, the, other, the other thing that's a positive is we're exposing Russia, absolutely weakening Russia by watching Ukraine uh, really outperform them on the battlefield.
8: 100%. And but it's
3: costing us a lot of money and we're depleting our stocks and there's no plan to restock.
8: Well, and we also know that, that our technology is superior. I think everyone was shocked that you know when, when Russia invaded and it's about conventional power projection capability, this was a country on their adjacent border. U.S. can 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 project power to faraway places sure. like Afghanistan. What about Mexico? And 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 look, Ukraine wasn't Pakistan. It wasn't China in the beginning. So Ukraine was a mid tier, and Russia had trouble almost immediately, uh, and has had trouble since. Uh, yeah, so Russia isn't the conventional power, but Russia is dangerous. Look, if you don't think, you know. President Bu- Putin is a war criminal, you know, look at the definition. But he's a very, very dangerous man, and I think you got to respect that he does have nuclear uh, capability. But and, do you
3: think you, from what you've seen so far, on what level of risk are we looking at?
8: Oh, when, it, when it comes to the Crimean Peninsula, I think the risk is significant. Uh, there's been 14 wars fought over that ground. Uh, it was the rushes for... Centuries. It's been Ukraine recently, but again, it's it's Russia's. You know, only warm water port. That's where their fleet is, uh, and I, I think the Americans need to know. Look, we're we're at risk.
3: So you think Crimea? If they get there, you should
8: stop. Uh, I, I think at the end of the day, uh, you, you can't give uh, Russia and Putin uh, the you know the the land that that he he made this invasion for I think Crimean Peninsula is a, is a different problem set uh, he's he's weakened uh, and but I, I do think we need a plan and you know there's some brilliant strategists in there that can come up with one and, and articulate mm-hmm. objectives but i I think a blank check uh, is a really really bad idea
3: which uh, it's virtually accountability would be something Republicans would demand and need the other thing is the the ability to explain to the American people what we're doing So right now people go, our border's breaking, why are we giving money to Ukraine? Uh, We need money in the cities, why are we giving money to Ukraine? They're really two different things. But because there's nobody with a message, you're allowed just to run wild. And the next time you hear about Ukraine, I need $24 billion. Excuse me? We need $24 billion. We appreciate Zelensky. Appreciate how we're working. I think it's worth our... I remember World War II. I remember what happened after. Why it would after World War I that led to World War II. I get it. And if you give this guy Ukraine, he's going for the Baltics next, Moldova the next day. And little by little, he's going to threaten and start having regime change in Poland and Romania. And within 10, 15 years, that would be their goal.
8: Well, and remember, they're saddling up now. You have maritime operations with Iran, uh, Russia, China. They're doing joint military operations. Uh, clearly, there's are North Korea. Uh, North Korea is now now in the mix. Uh, you, you got a surveillance uh, site now in Cuba, which could easily go to electronic magnetic pulse or, or something offensive uh, in, in Cuba. Remember the old missile crisis? Well, then China's now back in, in, in lieu of, of Russia. So th- there's a lot of issues. And I, I think you're spot on. It boils down to leadership. Uh, when there's a lack of leadership, to avoid, you know, avoid a void avoid leadership, what happens is other entities fill yeah. that spot.
3: And they're depending on Ryan Zinke and Mike Waltz and Lindsey Graham and Mike McCall and Jack Keane to explain their mission. This is their, this is their story, and they're depending on Republicans to explain it, and a lot of them say, I'm bailing. I don't like your tactics. I don't like your lack of accountability. You're not checking with me on anything. Why am I hopping on the Sunday shows selling the American people Ukraine?
8: Well, in Ukraine, you know, weapon systems like cluster bombs. Uh, You're against that? uh, I tell you, I've I've been there. I've been to battle. Cluster bombs, these indiscriminate long-range weapon systems that that can hit Moscow. I don't think they're a good idea. Uh, so you wouldn't
3: yes. give them attackums.
8: So. You know what I, I would uh, cluster bombs, and, and what I what I really didn't like is well we're going to use cluster bombs to breach the minefields. Come on, uh, one is minefields have have unexplosive ordnance in it by a very factor a minefield, and now you're going to introduce a system that will also inject more unexploded you know, ordnance onto it. So that's not why you use cluster bombs. You use cluster bombs. So you bombs feel like why, they're lying
3: to you by saying uh, that. Well,
8: the same thing with a Russian balloon. Have we got any really – or a Chinese. Chinese balloon. Have we got any no. good answers out of this administration? What was so, in it? Well, what was in it? And then, so we took immediate action. Well, really, they get It floated all the way across the
3: U.S. And it was it took a Montana writer, right, to oh, be able to spot Bill, it. Billings
8: Gazette. Great job, Billings Gazette. But, uh, I mean, come on in. And then they lied. So, well, we didn't want to shoot it down, you remember, because we were afraid right. of collateral damage. Petroleum County, Montana, has 434 good citizens in it. That is one less than Congress. I can tell you the chances of hitting something in, in Petroleum County is, is, is far, far, far less than than off the coast of, of Myrtle Beach. Comically, stupid. Come on. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Congressman, great to see you. What are you doing today?
8: Uh, I'm going to be uh, doing the media, cast, and look, uh, Republicans. Uh, if, if you're out there, conservatives, you 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 better call your congressman and say, look, we, we got to be b- voting for this uh, Homeland Security bill because if you're not going to vote for Homeland Security, right. I don't know why you're here.
3: Congressman uh, uh, Ryan Zinke, great to see you.
8: Great to see and you. And we'll see
3: if Trump calls your name and if you pick put, put up your hand if he wins. Oh, you
8: know, what? President Trump is is more than a candidate at this point. he's a movement. Right. it's a movement uh, uh, guys and and that's why that's why he'll be the nominee this is this is a movement
3: <laughs> all right congressman uh, I have to move to break uh, you understand we have to answer to somebody even though I seem like I'm in charge I'm really not back in a moment.
2: Want even more, Brian? Download the podcast at com. Every episode, exclusive interviews on demand. More of Killmead coming up.
3: Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former
2: U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables
5: across America.
8: Download from the kitchen table, The Duffys, at FoxNewsPodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts.
2: The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
3: Congressman Zinke, in a, uh, a little bit of your time, uh, um, Secretary uh, Mike Pompeo, great to see you. you Iran just came, just arrived here. I guess the president fresh off his $6 billion infusion of capital and just the prisoners exchange. I understand the Americans are safe and exchanged. Your reaction?
5: Happy to have them home. Terrified of what that means for Americans traveling all across the world. We now have allowed the extortion racket in Iran to grow. We've put a price on American heads. It's a billion bucks a piece, call it, just for simple Kansas math. And we know this. This will incentivize the Iranians, the North Koreans. We've seen what Putin has done. They'll take more Americans. And so the way you get prisoners home is American power. You punish people who take Americans hostage. It's what we did. We got Pastor Brunson home. We didn't pay a nickel. I brought back three Americans who were imprisoned in North Korea. We didn't pay a nickel. Instead, now we pay ransom, a billion bucks a person. And you you can bet that Iran will hold an American before too long. And we now know what the price is this administration.
3: You might. wonder why Saudi Arabia is starting to speak to Iran again? Because they don't, they don't, we don't have their back.
5: Ah, think about where that $6 billion will go. Right. The administration tells us it's going to go for humanitarian aid. Yes. If you consider ballistic missiles aimed at Israel humanitarian aid, then, yeah, I suppose it's true. I mean, it's farcical. No one believes, Brian, that the money they're getting is going to go for good for the Iranian people.
3: Mike Pompeo's can going to stick around. He's got a, also a great announcement about a new film he has out, a documentary from Israel, which looks sounds fantastic. And it's going to be in theaters, too. Uh, he, he ran the CIA. He was a congressman from Kansas. He was secretary of state. And who knows, maybe a vice presidential candidate when <laughs> it's all said and done. We'll see. Don't move. Brian
2: So busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade.
0: They are so naive, and I got briefed verbally on some of this is a hostage swap for six billion dollars. They don't know how to do hostage negotiations. And guess where it's gonna go? It's gonna go into terror proxy operations, it's gonna go into building their nuclear, you know, their nuclear not defense system, but offensive system. For, for a nuclear war. And also, just today, this morning, the Saudis said, hey, this deal with Israel you're trying to negotiate, we're out. It's having a damaging effect throughout the Middle East. And it all started with this very naive transaction of $6 billion. Imagine what Iran's going to do with $6 billion. So that
3: was Congressman Mike McCall, chairman of foreign relations in the House, knows his stuff, puts the time in and does the traveling, as does my uh, next guest, Mike Pompeo, who I just had him in quickly uh, former Secretary of State CIA director, author of Never Give an Inch, and he's got a, a movie he wants to talk about, and I can't wait to hear the details, called Route 60, The Biblical Highway. There was something he just said in that I didn't know. The Saudis, who were trying to extend what would you might call the extension of the Abraham Accords, they were going to normalize relations with Israel. They said they're
5: out. I had not seen that either. That was news to me. I know lots of folks were working on this. Uh, obviously, extending <clears throat> the Abraham Accords is a good thing in, in principle, Uh, The fact that the Saudis may be out, if that's true, I think it's very telling. It's telling about uh, a group of our friends and allies who just simply don't trust us, and they don't think our adversaries fear us. When you give the Iranians, who are firing missiles into Saudi Arabia almost every day out of Yemen through the Houthi proxies, right? Think about this. The Saudis are suffering missile attacks from the very country that the United States just gave $6 billion to. That is nuts. It's dangerous for the Saudis. It's really dangerous for our friends in Israel. It's bad for America, too. But you know what's
3: so interesting is why would you, being chairman of foreign relations and as a senator, vice president with a portfolio with a lot of international uh, assignments in it from Ukraine on down, not understand that when you call Saudi Arabia a prior nation, you're building up Iran? And did you go to school for the last two years? Saudi Arabia giving permission, in my view, of these Sunni nations to do those normalization deals With Iran, if they didn't want to do that, uh, Bahrain and others would not have done it. So you were working towards Saudi Arabia. When you call them a pariah nation and then say, why are gas prices, why is production going down? How could they not see these pieces?
5: Because the progressive left demanded – that we take retribution for what happened in Saudi Arabia. They're just so fixated on that that they can't help Khashoggi. themselves. The Khashoggi incident. They're so fixated terrible, on that. And yeah, were, no, it's terrible. And you know, bad. The Saudis were connected to it. That's bad. But it's a tough world out there. And for America, you and President Trump and I had this part right, we've got to do the things that m- keep Americans safe. We don't want our boys and girls to have to go fight and die in the Middle East. And the way to do that is build out peace with the Emiratis, with the Bahrainis, with the Sudanese, with the Moroccans. We did that, and we were on our way to doing it with the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. It is. There's no doubt that Mohammed bin Salman allowed the other countries to do this, right? He was on board with what we were doing. And now they've just thrown this all away by not enforcing sanctions against Iran and giving them $6 billion. I
3: have so many different things to talk to you about, but just to finish this off, if they go, how how could Congress be circumvented by a deal that they do separately? Like, for example, they're looking to do some type of nuclear deal and they know they can't go through the Senate and the House. Even their own Senate. Schumer doesn't want didn't want the last deal. Right. Why do people forget the, Menendez <laughs> vote against voted it.
5: against it? So one. so
3: people forget about that. He doesn't want to talk about that. So what kind of deal what kind of what would this deal be like?
5: It'll kind of be like the JCPOA. It's the it's the Seinfeld of deals. There's no document, there's no signatures, there's just a bunch of winks and nods and handshakes and back rooms. Why would Iran
3: do that? Because they were upset that the new administration came in. And ignored it, which was you guys.
5: Because they're getting everything they want. Because they're getting to continue to enrich uranium. Because they're getting to build out their proxies, the Hezbollah guys, the Iraqi militias. They're getting six billion dollars. They're literally getting all the sanctions that were put in place on the JCPOA expire over the course of the next 24 months. Many of them have already expired. The Iranians, why, why would they don't need a deal? They don't need Senate approval. They'd they, they, uh, they they'd love to have it, but they know they can't get it. And so they'll just take everything for free.
3: We're seeing a counterinsurgency that's starting to reap some dividends. They're starting to get some of their land back. I evidently heard uh, evidently they've gotten 50 percent of the land that Uh, Russia took on when they blitzed in a year and a half ago so you have 50 percent back so they're working towards it they got they have gotten two or three towns moving forward but they have no air cover and they don't have the demining capacity which is not expensive to start going through some of these fields for these unmotivated Russians who can't retreat or they're going to get shot and assassinated what's your assessment of the operation right now I know you are you have you been on the ground
5: I I was on the ground. It's been four or five months since I was on the ground. Uh, But, you know, it's precisely what you described, Brian. What we've done is we've just piecemealed the resources to the Ukrainians. And the result of that is there's more dead Ukrainian kids. We should have given the Ukrainians everything they needed right at the front end. And this might just be over. But now we just dribble it out. We might give them ATACMS. We might give them some of these other tools. You're right. These guys are crossing minefields with no air cover. I was an armor officer a long time ago. That is hard work. Has that uh, been done? Uh, in modern times, you, it's hard to describe a battlefield like this uh, that you know, post dates World War I or World War Two, depending on how you want to describe it. When you don't have air cover, the capacity for the bad guys to slow you up is tremendous. And, right. and we could have helped them. And President Biden simply chose not to do that.
3: Uh, You know, it's crazy. And I don't know who there is. You know, for example, in the Bush administration, Rumsfeld could command a room. Uh, Colin Powell could command a room. You know, Andy Card wouldn't want to, but he could. And Dick Cheney certainly could. He can go on all the Sunday shows. Whatever you think their message is, they can do it. There is nobody on this administration. I mean, Bernstein is pretty good on the economy. You know, he'll talk to you. But nobody communicates why we're there. So I sit in this room and I see the the, the need to defend Ukraine and help them, but I talked to Jack Keane and Lindsey Graham, but these are the guys communicating for an administration whose tactics they can't support. But I want you to hear what Mike Turner said yesterday with Margaret Brennan, Cut thirty.
10: The White House is going to announce additional capabilities. They've said that. Do they get the long range missiles to Ukraine that they're asking for, the attackums?
2: I hope they do. I mean, the administration has consistently said no to everything Ukraine has said multiple times publicly and then ultimately recanted and provided them. What we know from this uh, era of the conflict, Ukraine is still on the offensive, which was the goal of the offensive. Russia is on the defensive. Mm -hmm. There are a number of impediments that are making it difficult for that offensive to push Russia out. And at the same time, uh, Ukraine has to get additional ground and or longer range weapons to put Crimea at risk, which is where some of the assaults are coming from that, that you know are killing Ukrainians.
3: So if you're Mike Turner, you know, the mission's worthy, but not the tactics. So what do you what do you say? He used to be in Congress.
5: Yeah, he, he's got it exactly right. You do the right thing you get the strategy right for the United States of America but the administration's not listening you, you have to you have to hope they start to listen and then you have to hope that they'll eventually tell the American people the story this is why this matters right it's not just about ukraine right this is a bigger geostrategic problem set that we're staring at and president biden has not had it. he hasn't done 9 o'clock Oval Office speaks straight to the American people say this is why it matters not not to the Ukrainians, but this is why it matters to you, living in Tennessee or Arizona or Washington. This is why it matters to you, and he needs to do
3: it but Mr. Secretary, you've seen him speak he he cannot get through a sentence. I have not seen a moment i mean i I haven't seen an interview that even when he is clear, he'll say something so bizarre, I don't think that's an option
5: maybe. We need it. The country needs it. The world needs it. It's an expectation that we should have for a president. If you got to read the script, read the darn script. Um, but tell the American people from the highest office in the land why it is it's important that we ensure that Vladimir Putin doesn't move on Kyiv or Warsaw or the Baltics or anyplace else. This is an important mission for the United States. We, we can do it. We can help mm-hmm. them. They haven't asked for our boys and girls, Brian. They've just asked for stuff we ought to provide. It. Uh, you know,
3: after reading your book and seeing what your resume says and knowing you're in the prime of your life and your age, I thought for sure, I thought it was 90 percent, my gut, that you were running for president. When you see uh, those very talented men and women, in my view, on stage of the debate, and see, they're still trailing President Trump by forty points. Does that make you think you made the right decision?
5: Oh, Brian, I'm I'm confident I made the right decision for Susan and for me and for our family. It just it just wasn't our moment. Um, I I've enjoyed the conversation that's being had. I hope that will continue. I hope it doesn't evolve into name calling and mean tweets hope it's truly about the substantive things, the things you and I speak about. If that debate is had, American people, Republican primary voters will sort this out, and we'll see what happens come February, March, and April.
3: Do you think it'll be a 40-point gap in February, March, and April with all your political experience?
5: Uh, history would suggest it'll close up. So I fully expect that it will. Whether, by the way, if it closes up from 40 to 20, that's still a historic gap. So a long ways to go for sure.
3: How did you feel about Pence, Haley, uh, uh, Ambassador Haley and Vivek Ramaswamy going at it on their foreign policy. Forget Ukraine, uh, Taiwan. You know, as soon as we get our chips out, we'll, we're, uh, we're not going to worry about it. What's your.
5: Vivek's very smart. He's got this one wrong. Uh, it, it, you can't say you're going to defend Taiwan for just a couple of years until we get our stuff out. That makes no strategic. Co- There's no strategic coherence to that, in my view. Uh, I thought that Ambassador Haley and former Vice President had that right with respect to how we ought to think about America's place in the world.
3: So that's where you stand. Uh, this is what Ron DeSantis said yesterday. Cut 21.
5: Father
9: time is undefeated. And this isn't even a knock on him personally. This is just the nature of it. Uh, this is something that's a very grueling job. It requires energy. It requires leadership. And and he's not in a position where he's able uh, to discharge that.
3: And he also said 80-something shouldn't be president. So Ron DeSantis talking about uh, Joe Biden. We watched Senator Grassley with Ainsley on Sunday. He's unbelievable. He's 90 years old.
5: I'm going to go watch Mick Jagger on tour, for goodness sake. 80 years old, right? (laughs) Exactly.
3: Uh, So Joe Biden's different. Your your assessment of his assessment, just too old.
5: Yeah. Uh, Not about how many days you've had on the planet. It's about your capacity to demonstrate competence. And it is, as you said, we watch President Biden on the world stage, and we can see he's not up to the task.
3: Do you think 80-year-olds should be eligible to run?
5: Yeah, absolutely. As America, we've got a constitution. Uh, If a 100-year-old wants to run, so be it. Um, I've seen some pretty sharp 90 year olds. It is a tough job. My, my wife jokes that there's still five more elections before I'm Joe Biden's age. So who knows?
3: All right. And when we get <laughs> when we get back, uh, I want to talk about your film uh, because it's something I want to do uh, over in Israel. What you were able to do with Ambassador Friedman. And I, I know it's in theaters.
5: Correct. It is All right. today and tomorrow. Theaters all across America.
3: Yeah, it is called Route sixty, the Biblical Highway, uh, which sets going to be in theaters September eighteenth, nineteenth. So today and tomorrow, uh, and uh, we'll talk about that. I also want to talk about maybe uh, your future. Um, not that we're hiring, but you already work here anyway. <laughs> You're you are a contributor, right? I'm, I'm
5: fully employed here. Back in a
3: moment.
2: <laughs> Newsmakers and newsbreakers here at first on the Brian Kilmeade Show. information you want truth you demand this is the brian kilmeade show known as route 60 this modern day israeli thoroughfare is a biblical highway that once felt the footsteps of abraham isaac jacob king david and Jesus.
5: This is where Isaac and Ishmael ultimately reconcile.
2: Join David Friedman and Mike Pompeo as they guide you on this inspiring path as ancient as the land and as modern as the hope of Israel's future. This is a place where you really can think about the continuum of life. Come along for a close-up look at Israel, the land of the Bible, as you've never seen it. Join us for a pilgrimage of the sacred, a journey of hope along Route 60, the biblical highway.
3: Uh, and that is just a cut uh, from a brand new movie that's out. I love the I love the um, archaeology behind the Bible. Like you could point to me and say, "This is where Jesus was buried, and this is where he was, buried, and this is where he was born." Rather than this mythical thing that you think doesn't exist, you'll know it was right here. Uh, Mike Pompeo here, and he's uh, I guess co-host of this Route 60: The Biblical Highway, set to open in theaters September 18th and 19th today and tomorrow. So, what brought you to this,
5: Ambassador Friedman? Uh, it was his concept. Uh,
3: a big MVP of the last year. Yes, a, a
5: great partner between he and I at the State Department. We uh, we helped the president deliver the embassy to Tel Aviv – excuse me, to Jerusalem. We helped get the Golan Heights right. We got the Abraham Accords. He's a great partner, and he, he wanted to go to Judea and Samaria with me um, because I had made this statement about the fact that that's just Israel. <laughs> I summarize a complex legal problem. And so we walked this highway. Uh, I was a fifth-grade Sunday school teacher a while back, and we were walking in the very places that I'd taught, stories about David, stories about uh, Ishmael. We stood between the tombs of Abraham and Sarah in Hebron, places that people can't get because of security. We were able to get there, and Route 60, the movie, tells this biblical story. And to your point, you can stand there in that tomb, and there is no doubt that that is Abraham. And you read the Bible and look at the thing, and you know that you are – now reading a book that is historically accurate.
3: Right. And for you, were you in the learning mode or did you kind of knew this and was a confirming mode?
5: Some of each. Uh, I've been to Israel now dozens of times. Uh, every time I go there, I, I learn something. And so as I was preparing for the places we were going, um, I learned an awful lot and it reminded me of some great stories. You go to Shiloh where people learned to pray first place the Christians prayed, uh, we were on the outskirts of Jerusalem and Gethsemane, and we all in, in the in Christian world, we, everybody knows the story of Gethsemane and that famous evening. Um, but each time you stand there, you learn something. And this movie we'll share with people. Uh, these these great stories told in a place where you're looking at it, staring at it, it's beautifully shot, uh, and it's wonderfully fun to watch. It's a documentary that tells these important histories and important stories.
3: When did Mike Pompeo start becoming so immersed in religion?
5: Uh, When I was a cadet, a long time ago now, so I think, I didn't want to say 40 years or so ago, I, I, for the first time, started picking up the Bible, reading it, and came to understand Jesus Christ.
3: Right, and also good and bad. So you could still (laughs) understand that there is good and bad in the world, and you have to be willing to fight for the good.
5: Uh, The Bible teaches evil exists. Each of us is a sinner. Uh, And so these ideas that there are things that matter, things that are worth fighting for, exist in the real world. Uh, today, uh, just as it might. Just as much as it did in the times of our Bible.
3: So you you like the Bible, and I know uh, the pre, uh, former president likes every passage in the Bible. <laughs> so he was I understand. asked. <laughs> he was asked, what's your favorite passage? And he goes, I like them all. Right? <laughs> Perfect answer. <laughs> what's, what's, right? The, what's not to like? <laughs> uh, yeah, you're, gonna, you're just going to tell, I don't know, to tell Paul, I don't like anything Paul says. So that's a very good political answer. For a guy that's just getting used to politics. Brilliant. Right. So I want to talk about uh, a guy you may know, a Republican. He came out and he says, uh, and this is much lesser important. I feel ridiculous for following up that great story with this. But there's an impeachment inquiry because people want to find out what Joe was up to with Hunter. Uh, Congressman Ken Buck says this is a bad move. I'm a Republican. Read my editorial. I'm out. Cut 13.
4: This case, as well as a tax case, as well as a foreign agent registration Uh, violation uh, case, uh, all combined in different jurisdictions, I I think he has some serious problems. And I think this is a serious issue. Uh, Obviously, there's a dispute now in the the circuit courts over just how serious uh, this gun charge is and how you have to prove that he was using drugs at the time he got this, uh, 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 he filled out the application for the gun. But uh, I I think that any felony gun charge is a a pretty serious matter. It's not something that I would want brought against me.
3: And he said it's Hunter's problem, not Joe's. There's no link to Joe. This is a waste, and the Republicans are making a big mistake. What do you think, Congressman?
5: Yeah, I disagree with that. I think there's still lots to learn. I think there's still things we don't know. But we do know this. We do know there was 10% for the big guy. We do know that at the very least Hunter says that he was involved in phone conversations you and I both know when the vice president gets on the phone, it ain't to talk about the weather. It is to demonstrate brand loyalty. Uh, and we know that Hunter Biden had no known skill set to take on any of the tasks he did for Worth which he looking received into. money. Was it- Worth looking into? Worth looking into. And mm-hmm. let's let's get to the bottom of it. Let's find yeah. out where President Biden was sitting when those phone calls were made. There's, it's geolocatable, I promise you. Yeah, he
3: said he was, was right next My dad's right next to me. Route 60, the name of the movie, The Biblical Highway. Great to see you, Mr. Contributor, Mr. Secretary, Congressman, (laughs) and CIA Director. Now,
5: movie star. And movie star, too. I
3: forgot.
2: From the Fox News Radio studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest-growing radio talk show, Brian Kilmeade.
3: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, heard around the world. Jackie Heinrich is going to be here from the United Nations. Uh, She is over there with the rest of the world. And uh, uh, E.J. Antonio, economist at the Heritage Foundation. Uh, Bidenomics, uh, according to Joe Biden, it's working. Uh, According to the polls, not. So you make the call. Uh, So before we get started, uh, let's get to the big three.
2: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three.
4: We've asked for 40% pay increases, and the reason we asked for 40% pay increases is because in the last four years alone, the CEO pay went up 40%. They're already millionaires.
3: Uh, That is Sean Fain. He is the director of the United Auto uh, UAW. Uh, Why I think this auto worker strike is so much bigger than just an auto worker strike and something about our automobile It really talks about both parties and their image of being for the blue collar.
6: Number two.
5: The one thing American public has to understand is
3: there's a strategy behind everything. We only follow facts. Hunter Biden will get subpoenaed,
6: but when's the appropriate time?
3: Yes, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, why I believe this impeachment inquiry is legit. It's about finding the truth and Biden loyalists stopping documents and evidence from coming out.
6: Number one.
5: Uh, the Republicans are going to be uh, shoot themselves in the foot and run, in the run-up to the 2024 election if they continue to think that shutdowns are a great way to put themselves in front of the American people.
3: Yep, Carl uh, Rove says it right. Shutdown averted perhaps, maybe, maybe not. A framework was released, and they would extend the budget talks for about a month. We're going to examine the terms of the deal and why all the posturing has to stop. Meanwhile, Jackie Heinrich's got her hands full. She's a Fox News White House correspondent who finds herself in New York City trying her best to stay out of trouble. Jackie, have you been able to stay out of trouble?
1: Not yet, Brian. Trouble's all around me. We're at the UN for God's sake. Oh,
3: that's right. All these countries are there. What is the buzz? What is the buzz with this this hostage swap? It looks like the Americans are free.
1: Yeah, so we got the announcement a short while ago that the uh, the plane carrying the five American detainees and two of their family members, along with the ambassador, has departed Tehran uh, en route to Doha. That's where the swap will take place. We've not officially heard from the administration that this has all been done yet. I, I think that they're waiting until these people are in U.S. custody to make that announcement. But the Iranians have already announced that two of the five prisoners that the U.S. is releasing have already Um, been released that they're already back in Doha um, and two of the others are intent to remain in the U S and the $6 billion has already cleared the, uh, the bank in Korea and, and gone to Qatar via Switzerland. So that piece of the deal we're told is done. We're waiting on the administration to uh, make the formal announcement.
3: Right. So Michael McCall was asked to comment on this chairman of foreign relations, and he obviously does not think this is a good deal and he also told me something in this soundbite about Saudi Arabia, which I did not know, and how they are viewing this. Cut 31.
0: They are so naive. And I got briefed verbally on some of this. Is a hostage swap for $6 billion. They don't know how to do hostage negotiations. And guess where it's going to go? It's going to go into terror proxy operations. It's going to go into building their nuclear, you know, their nuclear, not defense system, but offensive system. For, for a nuclear war. And also just today, this morning, the Saudi said, hey, this deal with Israel you're trying to negotiate, we're out. It's having a damaging effect throughout the Middle East. And it all started with this very naive transaction of $6 billion. Imagine what Iran's going to do with $6 billion.
3: I did not know that, Jackie, about the, uh, the possibly adding Saudi Arabia to Abraham Accords. I knew the talks were happening. I didn't know they ceased because of this.
1: Well, according to reports, and we've got to caveat this with we are waiting to hear from the administration. I've got an interview with John Kirby coming up just about a half hour from now. I'm going to try to drill down on this issue. Um, but uh, according to reports, the U.S. and Israel are both denying that this is true. But these reports are coming out of Saudi Arabia. They're saying that uh, normalization talks have broken down. And you know Netanyahu really wants this happen. Um, so, unclear what exactly has transpired, if it has anything to do with the Iran uh, prisoner swap and the $6 billion. But there are a lot of factors at play here. You know, Saudi Arabia wants enrichment. They want uh, to be able to enrich uranium so that they can build an ostensibly a nuclear power plant, but that could easily be converted into a a nuclear program. Um, That's what they want in the event that Iran is able to get a nuclear weapon. Uh, remember also that Israel has vowed not ever to allow Iran to get a nuclear weapon. There has been chatter that uh, Israel would consider preemptive strikes on Iran if yep. you saw them nearing that, that moment in time. Um, but this all happens against the backdrop of the U.N. nuclear watchdog, the IAEA, warning that these violations from Iran are becoming routine, that the international community is, you know, becoming numb to it. They're disinterested in holding Iran to account. And it, this really needs to be taken seriously because the inspectors, Iran has already stripped out, as, as McCall mentioned, a third of them. So it's becoming even more difficult to hold into account with all this happening. And now they're going to get $6 billion on top of it.
3: So what's the president going to be speaking on tomorrow and what's he doing today?
1: Well, today he's got a couple of fundraisers. Um, we don't have a whole lot of information as to who exactly he's meeting with. One of them's going to be on Broadway. There's an, an Eventbrite ticket circulating Broadway for Biden. Um, this is sort of run-of-the-mill fundraiser stuff for him. Tomorrow, we expect probably a lot of the same themes that we heard um, at the G20 and at other big events that the U.S. is a major partner in. Climate's going to be a big issue. The underlying subtext to the climate thing is that the U.S. is trying to get Um, developing nations to partner with the U.S. over partnership with China to deepen our footprint in South Asia, basically, as a counter to China. So there is a national security element to this climate discussion. Um, But we're also going to likely hear, you know, autocracy versus democracy, another push for, um, for Ukraine. And hopefully some of what we did not hear coming out of the G20 joint declaration, which was totally neutered on the issue of holding Russia accountable for their war against Ukraine.
3: Which is crazy. So in terms of the president running last week between the indictment, the impeachment and the president's performance coming off Vietnam, Hanoi, um, I'm wondering if he's going to have much worse weeks. But behind closed doors, I think it's not a matter of having a bad week or trying to get momentum or trying to get on the different side of an issue. It's about the president's performance. On this week with George Stephanopoulos that didn't have George Stephanopoulos, Jonathan Martin of Politico said this, cut 26.
5: It is remarkable to see what Democrats will say in private versus in public about Joe Biden, about Kamala Harris. You played the Pelosi clip earlier, which is a taste of what Democrats say in private about Kamala Harris. But there, there is a remarkable cynicism when it comes to Biden's reelection and Democrats in Washington state capitol.
3: Do you echo that or do you not find that?
1: No, I, th- I think that we're only beginning to scratch the surface of really the nerve fraying within the Democratic Party. It was pretty unusual here, in Nancy Pelosi and Jamie Raskin, by the way, being asked to essentially, you know, back this 2024 Biden-Harris ticket and affirm that this is the best shot that Democrats have. Neither of them did that. And then afterward, you saw Jamie Raskin. He tweeted something. I'm, I'm enthusiastically excited about this ticket. It certainly looks like he probably got a phone call from someone at the White House or someone at the DNC taking issue with his comment there, because both Pelosi and Raskin, when asked to, you know, defend Harris as the ideal running mate, said, "Well, you know, the president thinks so, and that's what matters. She's vice president of the United States. That's a whole lot different than this is the person that we think can win in 2024."
3: Jackie, have I exhausted you with topics, or are you open to one more?
1: I'm open.
3: Love all right. That. Good. So Sean Fain, as we know, the ongoing talks that took place again Saturday with all the three three automakers in the U.A.W. Uh, we know the president says I'm going to send somebody over there to help out. They don't want to see somebody from the White House in these negotiations. Sean Fain said this about to Margaret Brennan on Face the Nation Cut 20.
10: President Biden says he's the most pro-union president in American history, but you haven't endorsed him. What is it going to take for you to do that?
4: Uh, Our endorsements are going to be earned. We've been very clear about that. No matter what politician it is, um, we expect action. We expect action, not words.
3: Do you think that that uh, was a shot to the solar plexus to the administration?
1: I don't know if it was a surprise to them, um, but I think it's not what they want to hear on television. I mean, it's it's pretty clear that Sean Payne wants the White House to pressure the big three automakers to you know, concede on the union's demands, which are not small. I mean, they want 32 hours or 40 hours of pay for a 32-hour work week. They want, uh, I think it's 43 uh, percent, I'm estimating, I think it was 43 percent pay raises. These are big, big demands. Um, and so far, you know, they haven't gotten it. And this puts Biden between two of his biggest um, priorities. You've got, you know, his climate agenda and the push toward electric vehicles sort of coming to loggerheads with his alliance with unions. The UAW-backed Democrats in, in 2020. They, they endorsed Joe Biden. They're obviously withholding that, trying to extract something from this administration that they want, want their union members to get. Um, but at the same time, Biden has been involved. You know, He met with Sean Fain a couple of months ago. He's had a few phone calls with him. He did call the big three automakers when he was abroad in India, India and Vietnam. Um, but then when all of this comes to a head, the strike is announced. We hear from the administration they're sending Julie Sued, Labor Secretary, Acting Labor Secretary, and Gene Sperling out to Detroit to you know bring this to an end, only later to find out that they're actually doing this remotely, that they were planning on going later this week. So we're not seeing the administration sweat quite yet, uh, but we can expect that to happen when if this drags out, it's certainly going to have an, inco- or an, a, an impact, driving up costs that are already high. That always stresses out the administration. So we'll see if they pivot.
3: This morning, we found out Hunter Biden's attorneys filed a lawsuit against the IRS whistleblowers for embarrassing him. Uh, do you think the, I, To me, I think the White House would be really upset by this. More scrutiny on an embarrassing episode that they're trying desperately to distance themselves from. Do you agree?
1: I do. I also think what's even more shocking was um, the the documents that came out a couple of weeks ago, conversations between Chris Clark and the DOJ revealing that Chris Clark, in pushing the Department of Justice not to bring charges, threatened to put Joe Biden on the stand for the defense. I mean, that is a really bold move from the president's son, representatives of the president's son, saying, hey, if you bring charges against me, we're going to call the president of the United States to the witness stand and pit him against his own Department of Justice. That, I think, is even more shocking um, With when you look at the distance that Biden wants to maintain from this, to have his own son's attorneys saying that we're going to draw you right into the eye of the storm. I think that that didn't get mm. as much play as it should have. And we'd love to see those documents. Unfortunately, Politico is the only one that's had them yet, but uh, still trying to get our hands on them because that is really something.
3: That is a great point. I, I, I did not give that proper uh, spotlight, but I would add this. How amazing is it that Hunter Biden, who was caught naked smoking crack with hookers, had all these uh, for leaving his laptop in that, that that repair shop. All the pictures we've seen of him, he's embarrassed by whistleblowers who said he didn't pay taxes. Really, that was that was the breaking point.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's clearly there's a legal maneuver that they're trying to make here. Um, they're, they're trying to say that the IRS whistleblowers have violated their, you know, their jobs and the law by revealing private taxpayer information Um, but there are whistleblower protections for this exact reason and of all things to to raise concerns about you'd think that they might be more troubled by some of the other material (laughs) that we've seen over the course of the last couple of years.
3: All right so listen I know it's not easy to move around the UN uh, but Jackie I hope you're able to somehow get through and and get some news and maybe the president will sit with a a one-on-one interview after his speech.
1: You know, we will hold out
3: for that. We ask every single day. <laughs> All right, Jackie, thanks so much. Great job.
1: Thanks, Brian.
3: All right, listen, your turn next. You have a lot to say. You had to go to the barbecue this weekend. You went to the tailgate. You had friends over. Your uncle's birthday took place, and you talked politics. Now it's time for you to vent on this show, one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Or you could uh, email me. Just go to and, uh and you can... Uh, email me there where it says comments. Also, have an announcement when we come back. Don't move.
2: Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. From his mouth to, to your ears, ears, it's Brian Kilmeade.
4: First off, labor costs are about 5% of the cost of the vehicle. They could double our wages and not raise the price of of the vehicles and still make billions in profits. It's a choice. And the fact that they want to compare it to how how pitiful Tesla pays their workers and other companies pay their workers, that's what this whole argument's about. Workers in this country got to decide if they want a better life for themselves instead of scraping to get by paycheck to paycheck while everybody else walks away with the loot.
3: So that is Sean Fain. uh, He's head of the UAW. Uh, He has called this like ripple strike, this like wave strike where about 8% of the workers walked out of the job uh, on Ford, uh, Stellantis, which used to be Chrysler for some reason. We had to sell it off because Obama called for that, General Motors, and they uh, are set to resume talks last night uh, following this big time strike of all three, what they want is a 36% raise with the cost of living increases uh, to counterinflation. The unwinding of concessions made during the Great Recession, remember, the benefits, the pensions, a lot of these things disappeared to keep the uh, car industry afloat and worker protection on the company's transition to less labor-intensive vehicle, electric vehicles. This is the key. The reason why they have not endorsed Joe Biden, because... His economy has rocketed up inflation, his economy has a stagnant dollar, and his economy is subsidizing green energy, and his economy is pushing electric cars with subsidies. Expensive cars, which you're given a subsidy if you buy one, and then you have no place to charge it, and to build an electric car they say is 40% less labor. So this is a lot of the, Obama, the uh, Obama-Biden policies, no doubt. So you're Donald Trump, and you're looking at this, and you're like, I feel more symbiosis to the worker. And I blue-collar people support me. And Republicans traditionally have been against the union, and that might be fine. But with Donald Trump, you're looking at a guy who had to deal with unions in order to put one cornerstone of the ground to build a building or a hotel or a golf course. So if he hated unions, he had to get out of the construction business, especially in New York. So he's telling Republicans, back off and let this thing play out. And he's debating, flying in and talking with some of the workers on the picket line. And I guess, you know, in Michigan, which is very, which he lost last time and won by about point percentage points in 2016, he could get some backlash from union workers, but... You heard me say, I played the cut from Sean Fain saying I'm not going to endorse Biden. Here's what he's saying he does want, cut 17.
4: We've asked for 40% pay increases, and the reason we asked for 40% pay increases is because in the last four years alone, the CEO pay went up 40%. They're already millionaires.
3: And the CEO is, um, we understand Mary Barra is making $39 million. And that would kind of bother me if I'm working every day. Now I don't have a pension. I don't get cost of living increases. Now some people take advantage of the union protections. I'm not for the four-day work week. I never will be. Got to put in work to get paid. I don't want 32 hours and get 40% more. That math doesn't work. But I would love to see the math that says stop the subsidies to electric cars. If American public wants them, they get them. Ford lost nine billion dollars doing this. Then they got a grant for another eleven billion for doing the electric cars. So it's all our money they're playing with. And I, I would, I don't blame the UAW workers being upset.
2: A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show.
5: In terms of the trend in inflation, I think we probably have a disagreement there as well. Uh, the trend in the uh, PCE, the trend in the CPI, whether you look at headline or core, and in fact, well, it's not here anymore, but that graph that was just there showed a very clear trend in the year-over-year CPI. If you take the more timely, say, three-month uh, 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 annualized average, uh, then you see uh, an even clearer Uh, Result: Uh, Inflation is easing. It continues to ease.
3: Really? Uh, That is Jared Bernstein. And to his credit, he is one of the better communicators with this administration. But he's not telling a good story. They pretend as if they just got to get the message out and to get people the good news that's happening in their lives. But they're not able to understand how good news it is. But they're not feeling it. Because inflation's increased for the second straight month. It's fueled by increasing gas prices, which is directly attributed to the policies of this administration. Don't let anyone tell you different. Now it's up 50% from when Biden took office, the gas prices. Food is up 20% for the same period, and wages don't match. These are some of the facts that Jared Bernstein tries to glaze over and Joe Biden oddly wants to run on. E.J. Antony is an economist with the Heritage Foundation and joins me now. E.J., it's a tough sell for Jared Bernstein. Do you think he realizes that?
7: You know, that's a good question, Brian. I, I think he does, and I think that's why he's trying to spin the facts so hard, because he is essentially trying to tell the American people, don't believe your lying eyes, don't believe your empty wallets. Things are fine, and you're better off than you were uh, two and a half years ago. But I think the American people know the truth, which is that's
3: just not not the case. What is the state of this economy right now? Uh, The president often cites that it is the strongest economy in the world.
7: Well, you know, growth is slowing. Inflation is accelerating. I'm not really sure how you say this is the strongest economy in the world when we have a manufacturing sector that is contracting. Uh, the manufacturing sectors in countries like India and Russia, for example, are growing at at very fast rates, too. So we are heading towards recession while inflation accelerates. I just don't know how you describe this economy as strong. It's
3: anemic. It's anemic, but you have a situation where our debt is also growing, too, and a government shutdown could be looming, and a UAW strike. It's my contention, but you're the expert, that this is so much bigger than the people involved in the auto industry. I think that it really sends a message to the rest of the country about blue-collar workers and and wages. They say that as this fight goes on, it could be good for private companies like Tesla. What is at stake with this UAW negotiation?
7: Oh, A lot, Brian. That's a great question. But, you know, something that I think a lot of people need to realize is that when we hear unions right now asking for things like a 20 percent hike in pay, we have to remember that in just the last two and a half years, prices have gone up about 17 percent. And so what you're really looking at is about a three percent wage. Now, that, that's not to absolve unions. You know, there's plenty of things, plenty of ways in which unions have negatively impacted uh, the labor market. But all I'm saying is that you have to remember that everybody is hurting right now. All workers are hurting and all businesses are hurting because as much as prices have gone up uh, for consumers, prices have gone up for businesses even faster. And so what's at stake here is essentially the future of the labor market. And it's not just a matter of whether or not these laborers are going to be able to get the higher wages that they want. But it's a matter of, are we going to get government spending down to the level where inflation will also come down?
3: Right. And what's that going to take? Do you expect rates to rise again? Uh,
7: You know what? I think what the Federal Reserve is going to do is continue this pattern of alternating between pausing and increasing by a quarter of a percentage point, because what that effectively does is cause increases of an eighth of a percentage point over time. I think it's their way of of implementing these very, very slow rate hikes. You know, they really have their hands tied here because they need to hike rates faster. They need to sell off the balance sheet faster to fight inflation. The problem is if they do, they're going to exacerbate the, the systemic interest rate risk in the banking sector. In other words, we're going to have more collapses of banks like we saw in March. You, so really, they're damned if they do, damned if they don't.
3: Which is, uh, yeah, we have not talked much about those mid-level banks. And now with the restrictions on them, they're not lending any money, are they? No, they
7: can't. And you know what? Again, the banks themselves are between a rock and a hard place because they need to lend more money so that they can get higher rate loans on their balance sheets because that will increase their income relative to to their uh, liabilities. But the problem is, as they do that, they're now becoming over leveraged. So in other words, they just don't have enough cash on hand to make those loans. So just like the Fed, they themselves are in a terrible position as well.
3: So uh, the one thing that I think is underreported, while we're hard on us economically and people are acting, you know, are are responding in these polls the way they feel, and that is only 34 percent approval rating for Joe Biden's economy and Bidenomics, which he insists on running on, telling everyone how much better he made their life. But I look over at China and you see their unemployment among young people. You see the infrastructure and their banks stop loaning and there's no real requests For bank loans, because people aren't building in these real estate uh, conglomerates that they have the best they can in that uh, less-than-market economy, are going belly up. They're buried in debt. Uh, they got empty cities uh, that have been built, but no one's in them. they got the one-child policy. They have a decreasing population and an aging population. China's got a lot more to fear. Would you say that that is an accurate statement?
7: I I would, but I would also say that it's a warning to the United States because China. what what happened in China, Brian, what gave them their growth miracle was that they shifted away from communism uh, and government control over every aspect of the economy to a more free market economy, not entirely, but more so. Now, as they have shifted back under President Xi away from private markets into central planning, in other words, government overspending, government overregulation, government manipulation of the currency etc basically what we've been doing here just they did it at a much larger scale their economy is now running into a wall and if we continue down this path particularly with these massive unfunded government deficits we're going to have the same thing happen to us
3: so when you look at the republican candidates on the stage and who will be on the stage next week and we're on last month who do you think has the the best plan economically
7: Oh, that's a really good question, Brian. Uh, unfortunately, at this point, I don't think any of the candidates, quite frankly, have articulated uh, enough, have articulated clearly enough a plan to really get us out of this hole. I mean, if you look at interest on the debt, for example, it is absolutely skyrocketing. And I don't think anyone, whether it's the Congressional Budget Office or the Federal Reserve, you name it, has really taken all of the relevant factors into account here. Because once you actually look at the trajectories of spending, the trajectories of interest rates, you realize that we are only a few years away from Uh, interest on the debt, crowding out everything else in the federal budget. It's already the third biggest line item in the entire fiscal service report. So imagine what it's going to be in a few more years as we keep spending $2 trillion uh, into the hole every single year.
3: Well, it's going to be interesting to see who wants to actually – cut some of these programs that are the non-discretionary spending. Nobody in run for office feels comfortable saying Social Security needs to be reined in, Medicare's too big, uh, Medicaid in the States don't pay off. Uh, they seem to be backing off that.
7: Uh, absolutely. And you know that's, that's really, really unfortunate, Brian, because those are the things mm. that are really going to cause the budget to explode within the next couple of years. I mean, we literally are looking at, in less than a decade, uh, insolvency for several parts of both the Social Security Trust Fund and the Medicare Trust Fund.
3: Uh, E.J. and Tony, thanks so much. Economists with the Heritage Foundation, appreciate it.
7: Thank you, Brian.
3: All right, uh, thank you. Uh, meanwhile, Americans are arriving now in Qatar from their cap to, from their captivity in Iran. So we got our five back, they got their six back, and they got $6 billion. So they got $6 billion. They say it's their money frozen in South Korea by the previous administration, and now it's unfrozen, only to be used, put in a Qatar bank, only to be used for humanitarian purposes. Well, anything humanitarian that they're going to use it for, um, uh, they're going to use their regular budget for They'll now use that and then go buy the ballistic missiles uh, somewhere else. Uh, This is a bad deal from top to bottom, if you ask me. But I'm glad that these Americans are home. No one would, uh, you know, nobody would say anything different about that. Obviously, a lot of emotion. I feel great for those families. I don't feel great for us and our foreign policy because, once again, it shows hostage taking pays. And uh, we look weak uh, as the U.N. gathers around And the Iranian president denies that there's any restrictions on that money. They said it's theirs. Before we go to break, as you know, uh, Teddy and Booker T, the the story of two American icons who plays a path towards racial equality, is going to be out November uh, 7th. So Red Bank, New Jersey, we're going to go do what made America great, uh, what got America great, a whole look at all the books and everything else featuring this one. I'll be in Red Bank, New Jersey, November 9th at the Vogel. Huntsville, Alabama, November 18th in Mar- uh, Mark C. Smith Center. And Montgomery, Alabama, the right after that, and the Montgomery uh, PAC, or the PAC. So go to com, find out where I'll be, and this way you get a book with every ticket purchase, and I'll get a chance to talk about, talk to you guys in a VIP setting uh, if you decide to get that type of ticket. one 408 7669 Your calls when we get back. And if you want to get these tickets, just go to dot We're Ticketmaster.
2: Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade.
3: Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Uh, So glad you're here. Uh, 1 866 408 7669. Number to call. And I do, I'm do. i getting a lot of people writing me, which means a lot of you are at work. Uh, so I'm getting a lot of your emails here, and I'll get to them uh, shortly. In fact, just a lot of suggestions, a lot of people being proactive. Uh, here's one uh, Here's one example for the right. It says, Brian, the right media begins to revise the, the phrase regarding the Biden polls. The phrase needs to be included, an example of Biden and the policies of the left. We know there's a great chance Joe won't be the nominee. So you don't want to have someone have different policies let them know that he's just implementing the west policies i like that and that's uh, lynn's uh, that's lynn's suggestion uh, here's uh, milton black a very simple line calling for a week long at least general work strike for the border security until the borders closed so he milton is saying have all the border patrol walk out and until they decide to implement the policies of uh, of shutdown, lockdown that maybe the previous administration had, then walk out. Man, that would be a very harrowing 48 hours. And I think on some level, the administration would love to have the border wide open. No Hillary Clinton would. So that's what uh, a lot of you are saying and a lot of you are writing. Let's find out if, and by the way, we're still watching this uh, this hostage swap. We're seeing these uh, um, men uh, come off. The plane getting hugs. The Qataris are there. Let's see if the Qataris are going to crack down on the money and tell Iran no, unless I see this is for MREs or blankets, you can not have it. Let's see if that happens. Meanwhile, let's find out if there's more to know.
2: More to know.
3: All right. The uh, Chiefs' Travis Kelsey scored a touchdown after missing week one with an injury. You know, he's dating Taylor Swift, and he had a... Uh, The announcers picked up on that. He says, we're just having fun. Travis Kelsey's a good-looking guy. Wouldn't you say that, Allison?
11: Yeah, I would think so, and he seems like he's a fun guy, too.
3: Right. You know his mom already. His mom's very famous. His brother's got a full-time job with the Eagles. So here's here's what Ian Eagle said after Kelsey caught the touchdown pass. Low snap. Mahomes moving pocket. Mahomes floats it up.
6: Caught. Touchdown, Travis Kelsey. Kelsey finds a blank space for the score.
3: No, I don't even know what that means.
11: So apparently, it means you know, um, blank space is a huge hit by Taylor Swift. Oh, so but how much preparation did Ian Eagle do? Like to have the lines there? Yeah,
3: yeah, he had to. That guy is pretty funny from Syracuse. Uh, he is uh, one of their top announcers. That is pretty cool. Next, Seahawks uh, quarterback Geno Smith was not happy with the penalty call Sunday. But referee Alex Kemp still wanted Smith. To mind his manners. Listen to this. Potential rounding
9: offense number seven. It's a ten-yard penalty.
5: I'm talking to America here. Steve. It's a ten-yard penalty and a loss of down. I mean,
0: second down. That is the best line I've ever heard, Adam Fisher. We'll get to the penalty in a minute. He just told Gino Smith, "I'm talking to America."
3: How great is that? Uh, the Seahawks went on to win in overtime against the Detroit Lions. Pretty cool, right?
11: That's fantastic. I really feel like that uh, ref might have, like, a toddler at home. I and know. And he, like, uses that the line. The
3: best ever was when Marty Lyons uh, sacked, I forgot who the quarterback was, Joe Walden was the coach, and the referee uh, flipped the switch and started saying, yeah, uh, cl- penalty number 93, 15 yards. He was giving them the business underneath. Yeah, uh, if we could ever find that, Eric, that would be awesome. Hilarious. I know. Next, after report service last week that Disney is exploring the possibility of selling ABC Byron Allen and Allen Media said they have, were going to offer $10 billion for ABC and all its local stations. Uh, no word from Nexstar. Also said to be interested. Uh, the company came out and qualified it. Says we're open to considering a variety of strategic options for our linear business. Uh, at this time, the Disney company has made no decision with respect to divestiture of ABC. They're really in trouble. I mean, what do they want? Just amusement parks? They don't like their movies. They don't like their streaming. Nothing they're going to have the ABC Are they going to spin up. What kind of company will it be?
11: Well, I mean, just very strategic for just like Disney-based products. But I mean, Iger is feeling the pressure. And if you remember, what was it, months ago when he made comments essentially saying he might be open to selling the news operations. I said on CNBC, like, it sent ABC into what's his. Apparently right. the employees were freaking out.
3: Uh, I mean, it's pretty crazy. Because if you look at Disney right now, they have their parks. The Fox deal where they bought all the, uh, the Fox properties and some affiliates, that was like the deal of the century. Because look, look at it. FX is not doing great. The Fox family, I've re, got, was renamed something uh, and it's doing terrible. And now they're breaking up the cable bundles and saying, no, no, all I want is Fox and ESPN, I'm fine. And no one's choosing to get these other channels that Disney used to have leverage over.
11: That's true. But Wasn't there even something last week about ESPN and one of the cable providers? Like they went, they were they almost um,
3: in there Monday Night Football. Yep, they,
11: like what? Like twenty minutes before the game, they yeah. came on.
3: It worries me about our industry, though. I, well, I don't like all this unsettleness. Next, Seattle uh, Senate uh, and no longer enforcing a dress code. Guess why? Because of John Fetterman. He dresses like a clown, and he wants to be able to dress like a clown and embarrass Pennsylvania and the country. So they'll know he'll be allowed to wear his hoodies and his gym shorts. Totally disrespectful. They're going to enforce it for visitors, but not for senators. Yeah, or any staff.
11: All staff has for to staff. wear the suits. It's really pathetic. Just why can't, like, proper dress just be there? I mean, you would just hope, though, if the Republicans take over the Senate, like, could they reinforce the dress code?
3: That Absolutely. would be something nice. Next, Chicago Mayor Brandon Johnson is considering big government, city-owned grocery stores after Walmart and Whole Foods Foods closed their stores in a working-class area and sometimes crime-ridden area of Chicago. He said Chicagoans deserve to live near a convenient, affordable, healthy grocery store. We know access to grocery stores is already a challenge. My administration is committed to advancing innovative whole-of-government approaches. Look, nobody wants to shop in a government supermarket, provide security for people in those areas, in Walmart, the shoplifting, that wouldn't be a problem.
11: Yeah, but Brian, if people had no problem stealing from the, the corporate America, you think they're going to have a problem stealing from the government? Absolutely I mean, not. That's going to be worse.
3: will they be allowed to keep armed guards in a government facility? Will they be able to keep cops there? Because they're not allowed to shoot them anyway. So I do to say this, for those working class people in areas that are crime ridden, they need a place to shop and a place that's good, that sells good food at a decent price, and because of shoplifting and the crime, it no longer pays to do that. For that, I feel bad, but that is not the answer.
2: From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division, it's Brian Kilmeade.
3: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Uh, Josh Trasher, uh the Fox News radio political analyst and editor-in-chief of Jewish Insider, former uh, Axios guy, will be bringing us inside the 2024 race. And then we'll do a simulcast of the great Harris Faulkner uh, in about 15 minutes. You'll see me, see me and hear me. We'll share you guys. I'll share you guys with Harris. Harris will share her viewers with us and we'll be a powerhouse. Um, and plus, you see us on Fox Nation. And then, I mean, look at all this. You can get us on stream. It's going to be exciting. So I'm going to make this uh, this segment a little bit shorter than usual, so let's get to the big three.
2: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three.
4: We've asked for 40% pay increases, and the reason we asked for 40% pay increases is because in the last four years alone, the CEO pay went up 40%. They're already millionaires. Right.
3: Wow, there you go. Sean Fain, head of the UAW. Why I think this autoworker strike matters to all of us, not just those in the business.
6: Number two.
5: The one thing American public has to understand is there's a strategy behind everything. We only follow
3: facts. Hunter Biden will get subpoenaed, but when's the appropriate time? Right. Uh, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy with Marie SA. Why I believe this impeachment inquiry is legit. It's about finding the truth, and Biden loyalists stopping documents and evidence from coming out even caused this inquiry to be necessary. Number
5: one. Uh, the Republicans are going to be uh, shoot themselves in the foot and run, in the run-up to the 2024 election if they continue to think that shutdowns are a great way to put themselves in front of the American people.
3: Yeah, you're absolutely right, Colrove. Rove. Shutdown averted maybe or maybe not. A framework was released that would extend budget talks for about a month. We examined the terms of the deal and why all the posturing has to stop. Just tell me what re- really means, really what matters. So we found out this morning when I got up, I thought I was going to be talking about lockdown and would-be frameworks, but there is a framework. Uh Ken McCarthy made it clear. Uh he has told his House caucus they struck an internal deal to, a, uh, to avert a shutdown, but the measure faces uphill battle, so to speak. This after the House Speaker has says a shutdown would only give strength to Democrats, which is true. And House Republican Conference Chair Lee Stavonick says McCarthy still has strong approval among Republicans on Capitol Hill. They have nobody else. There's no, If you're really conservative, you're not going to lead the caucus and not understand the moderates, and they're just going to lose those seats. So the key thing is, is about 120, 30 pages. I talked to Congressman Mike Waltz about it. They got 48 hours to go through it, and then just to extend it. Scott Perry says uh, the members have worked over the weekend with the Main Street Caucus on a path forward to fund the government and secure America's border. We now have a framework for our colleagues across the Republican conference. So... At least they're doing something. And I thought we'd have just negative things to talk about when it came to the shutdown. So McCarthy thinks they can avoid it. Uh, For Mark Warner, Democrat, he hopes they are going to avoid it. Cut three.
0: So you believe we are headed for a government shutdown? I would like to say no, but we're eight or nine days away, and we've not even been able to see the House pass the most basic defense appropriations bills. Mm -hmm. I hope and pray that uh, Speaker McCarthy will say, hey, I'm going to throw over. The far right, and I'm going to put together a bipartisan effort with the Democrats and mainstream Republicans to keep the government funding. I
3: think that would get again <clears throat> 350, 400 votes. So uh, Nancy Mace said, "Hey, I was promised a lot of things. Not just Matt Gates would promised things. I don't want to see R. I need some promises to come through, and and uh, she was pretty stern yesterday on ABC. Cut for. Her.
6: I am
11: expecting a shutdown. But again, you know, what most America doesn't know, the the majority of the government will be operating, will be working. And I've talked to some federal employees that don't really mind it because they're going to get a vacation. They're going to get time off, but then they're going to get back pay. And so they're not really grumbling about a government shutdown. It's uh, more than meets the eye.
3: And lastly, President Trump weighed in on what he would do. And obviously he said, you got to negotiate. He said this on Meet the Press, Cut Six.
1: Do you
10: think Republican hardliners should abandon their threat to shut down the government over their spending priorities now that there is this impeachment? No, I think if
6: they don't get a fair deal, we have to save our country. We have $35 trillion in debt. We have to save our country. So you, would you know. shut down
10: the government? You'd
11: support that?
6: I'd shut down the government if they can't make an appropriate deal, absolutely.
3: Yeah. So the Democrats uh, will not be blamed for this. Republicans will. Because one thing the Democratic-run Senate has done has passed through 11 appropriations bills. I have not heard a good answer on this. The only thing I heard Chip Roy say is the guarantee that they wanted from Kevin McCarthy. He says, can we go back to the committees where the committees sit there and hash it out? And obviously it would be a 10-8 committee or a 10-9 committee when it comes to the House because of the, because of the majority. And we hammer things out, and then we hand them up, and then you take a look at them, and then we try to work with the Senate. We do things regular order. But the Senate did it. But Chip Roy didn't. And I haven't heard any people like complain about that. Let's do it in regular order. And maybe you should have come back in August and said, listen, if I'm going to get this done and not lose the house and show a competency, I want everybody back earlier. Now they only have eight days.
2: The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade.
6: We have a man who is totally corrupt and the worst president in the history of our country, who is cognitively impaired, in no condition to lead, and is now in charge of dealing with Russia and possible nuclear war. Just think of it. We would be in World War II very quickly.
3: Yeah. And, and everyone, I guess, Allison, you were saying is pointing this out that he's losing it. And how dare they jump on Biden?
11: Yeah, it was getting played um, on the other networks. Just, you know, um, you know, Trump's blasting Biden about his uh, mental acuity. And he thinks we're going to go into World War Two. You know, that was decades ago. You know, he, he misspoke. He was actually just speaking on Friday, too, on the through radio, it sounds like it's sort of like a political ad, which it's not. There was just music while he was talking. Right
3: in Washington. Yes. So there's such huge differences. Number one, did Donald Trump say, "I taught at University of Pennsylvania for three years"? Did Donald Trump say I was basically raised in synagogues? And then he also said I was basically raised in black churches. Did Donald Trump say, um, did the Donald Trump say that he uh, 9/11 the next day he was down there when he just bring it up unsolicited? let alone the stories that he continues to say over and over again that are not true. Do you know, uh, I saw that uh, Kristen Welker had to handle naysayers who said she had no business legitimizing President Trump and on her first show on Meet the Press interviewing the president, former president. Think about that. You have to make excuses for interviewing the former president because you didn't like him or he's up for four indictments. Now, it would be different if he had the numbers of Asa Hutchinson, zero or one percent. But he's a shoe in right now. He's up 45 points on Ron DeSantis to get the nomination. Even if he was in second place and Ron DeSantis had 60 and he had 13. Why wouldn't you ever interview a relevant person like this? Because <clears throat> you didn't vote for him. You didn't like him. You don't like January 6th. All right. That has nothing to do with it. He's newsworthy. And he could very well be president again. So one thing about Trump. Whatever you want to say. You like it or not. He's the same guy at 40, 50, 60, 70. And people who are around him say he's got the same energy he always had. I don't think energy is going to be the issue. I think the worry of for indictments and meeting with these legal teams and saying to yourself, you know, I could be looking at a jail, that could wear on you. But, you know, I thought it was interesting, too, Megan Kelly went out, of his way, went out of her way to say, how's Melania and how's Barron? And Barron's in 12th grade, 11th, 12th grade. He goes, he's a heck of an athlete. He's 6'8". And I think he's looking to play sports in college. So he says, we're looking at a few schools. And Melania, he said, is as strong a person, has great composure, does not bother by anything. And she's always offering advice. And that's who was written up a while ago. That, you know, crazy Donald Trump with his model girlfriend and these crazy allegations and court cases. Who's his wife? Guess what? Don't worry about it. Because they get along fine. Uh, every, at least once a week, they all have dinner together to make sure that Barron gets a chance to see his father before he goes away in college and everything changes. And who knows, maybe he joins a business, maybe he doesn't, probably does, like everybody else. Or maybe he goes to Ivanka's subsidiary, who knows. All right, we're going to join uh, Harris Faulkner shortly. But if she's also on the breaking news, he's freed Americans, which is always good news. But you ask yourself, at what cost? Uh, we gave back five people who were legitimately imprisoned by going through our court system and they were found to be guilty in exchange for five people arrested for no reason uh, just because they could be used as pawns, as hostages. I think at least two are Iranian-Americans. And then we gave them $6 billion of frozen funds that were in South Korea that the previous administration froze on oil revenue, but now they get put over to Qatar. And I hear about all these secret negotiations. Do you know over the weekend in Malta, Jake Sullivan met with the Chinese foreign minister? And now you hear about in Oman meeting with Iranian affiliates or, or representatives about some type of informal agreement that would just bypass Congress. To me, uh, that is not a plus. But the biggest story, I think, to emerge outside of the political realm which will be the number one issue in 2024. I can't see anything being different besides a catastrophe or attack. And that is illegal immigration. You're looking at tens of thousands of people coming here illegally Uh, by the millions. Now uh, it is costing New York city. Mayor Adams told Al Sharpton over the weekend, it's going to cost about $2 billion this year already, maybe end up at 5 billion
10: on Saturday nights as well. So Brian, I want to get your initial thoughts to, What freedom is to these people handed over at the border, whether we can even begin to vet them or don't even try.
3: We can't try and we're not trying. And we're asking Border Patrol to do way too much. And you heard the exchange. And I think you put it on your show on Friday between this one man who says, I'd like to go to Chicago. And they said you could go wherever you want. That is the story. Harris, you don't want to think because we're located in New York. We're thinking too New York centric. But outside the border cities, this is. The major issue, it's happening in New York, and you heard uh, Mayor Adams, and I was just talking to my audience prior to this, and we're sharing audiences now, but Mayor Adams told Al Sharpton over the weekend, it cost $2 billion already this year, $5 billion by the end of the year, uh, and $15 billion over the next three years, over the last three years, and think about this. Now they have to look at every category of the city budget and cut 15%, including wow. police. And you, you know, know who
10: that hurts? The citizens. Brian, I want to get this in real quickly and get your response to it. So this is a sanctuary city where I work in New York. I don't live here, but I mean, Jersey's cobalt blue, too. We are now seeing self-proclaimed sanctuary cities taking a massive financial hit, just as you were spelling out. And now they're begging for help because of all of the influx of particularly illegal immigrants who go where they want and sleep where they want. And their own Tulsi Gabbard hitting Democrats for flip-flopping. They're not getting, obviously, the the real threat uh, that is occurring right before our eyes. This president and his administration, they don't care about securing this country. They don't care about the interests and well-being of the American people who are being impacted, very negatively impacted by the Biden-Harris administration open border policies. So before Tulsi Gabbard calls me and says, I'm no longer a Democrat, I'm no longer a Congresswoman, let's clean that up. We do know that she's had a lot of problems with her party. This the least of which, Brian...
3: So they had this sanctuary policy in place, and they had the right to shelter in place from the 80s with Ed Koch in New York. He was looking for a while, was the mayor, to overturn the shelter in place, which means if you get here, I got to give you a place to stay. I got to give you uh, something to eat. And now we added a little thing. We wash your clothes. Fantastic. And we give you a mini menu on top of that. So now... In the beginning, Mayor says, well, you know, give her your huddled masses. Now he's like, yeah, it doesn't matter how big our hearts are, our wallets aren't, we're out. Do you remember when Mm -hmm. President Trump, one of the first things he did, maybe the first six months on immigration, was we're going to stop, make it illegal to have a sanctuary city? And do you remember those cities sued back and they got the right sympathetic courts and it said that these cities can make their own decision? Now you made your own decision. And the answer can't be using more of our tax dollars just from a different pot to pay for these people. Ah, uh, And that's what the whole thing is.
10: But it can be because nobody's stopping them. And when you hear someone like Tulsi Gabbard saying that the Dems are getting this wrong on this, she's not the only one. She's not the only American. Every American is seeing this. The ones who aren't are inside a Democratic White House. I don't know. Maybe they have like shades and curtains all over the windows and they can't see the rest of us. Um, I do want to get to this. And I I hate to get off that topic because there's so much there. But this might speak to the issue of why Capitol Hill isn't focused on all of us. They're focused on what to wear. We may soon see hoodies, a la Fetterman, John Fetterman of Pennsylvania, on the Senate floor. Fox News confirming reports Majority Leader Chuck Schumer is relaxing the Senate dress code. Yeah, that's a priority. Business attire is still the official rule, we're told, but Schumer has told the sergeant at arms to stop enforcing that this week. Critics call it a way to appease freshman Democrat John Fetterman, known for wearing hoodies and gym shorts to the Senate. Schumer says senators are able to choose what they wear on the Senate floor. I will continue to wear a suit. Republican Senator John Cornyn sees this as a potential double standard since others entering the Senate chamber must comply with the dress code. Coats and ties for men, business attire for women. Guy Benson calling it the Fetterman rule.
3: So there's a there's a few things going on here. It is all about John Fetterman. Number one, Uh, you know, if you want to campaign and and if people of Pennsylvania want to put him in office, unable to put together, sadly, because of his uh, stroke, couldn't put together, couldn't debate, couldn't do a speech. Uh, We have no idea what he stands for. If we have just have to look back at old videotapes to find out what he's going to be like as a senator. It looks like he's getting better now. But why would you bend the rules for one senator? Why? What sense does that? Do you have any sense of tradition? It's the whole sloppiness we're seeing everywhere you go. I mean, if you go to the airports especially, what are people wearing uh, when they're going out? And I'm just saying, why can't somebody who's 78 years old like uh, Senator Schumer, understand there's a bit of a tradition here, and hold him to a high standard instead of everybody else to a low one. But can you imagine how staffers feel? They're making a tiny bit of money. They got to go out and buy ties and they got to buy, buy suits. Mm-hmm. But there's John Fetterman acts like he's uh, auditioning for the Incredible Hulk with ripped shorts and uh, sandals oh, on wow. his shoes and hoodies on his uh, on his head, and just saying, "Well, I'm an odd looking guy anyway." It just it just makes you it should make mm. Republicans push more and more to get their majority leader in place and bring everything back.
10: Well, wow, I had not heard that. I'm an odd looking guy anyway. Uh, it, but there is a dress code. And if they're going to be focused on this, it's a shiny object away from crises like border, like all the border trouble that we're having right now. I mean, this is the least Important right. part. Brian, I got to run. You've got to go do radio. And we understand right now the uh, State Department, Secretary Blinken speaking on the hostages freed from Iran. Let's watch.
3: Right. Uh, so we got a couple more minutes here, uh, a couple of minutes here. So, Secretary of State uh, Anthony Blinken, and stay right there. If you, if, you, uh, if you can wait 10 minutes, we can get to some calls. But he's basically going to take a bow on this hostage exchange. Just remember, uh, Mr. Secretary, Bo Bergdahl was brought to the White House on a Saturday to announce his release. And we later found out that Bo Bergdahl was a deserter, that people got killed trying to find out where he was and who took him, only to find out they were shot, wounded, and killed, uh, going after a guy that didn't want to be there anymore. Then he was kept in a cage with the Taliban, and then we had to exchange five lethal terrorists and Taliban heads for him. Taliban 5. And Qatar the says you, they're not going to go back to the fight. Now they're in, oh, I think, all holding positions in the Taliban government. I'm sure Barack Obama would want that press conference back. I think Secretary of State Blinken should think about that. Brian Kilmeade Don't move.
2: If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The most amazing thing about that David Ignatius uh, column is that 90% of it is in praise of what Joe Biden has accomplished, mainly because of his
9: experience, his wisdom, his age, uh, his relationships uh, in Washington, D.C. And I think, you know, you see uh, a president that sees himself as one of the few people likely on the stage that can defeat an existential threat to the republic, which in his mind is Donald Trump. And he did it just three years ago with the Kamala Harris team. And I think he's itching for that fight again. It would have been interesting if Donald Trump had not run again, whether the president would view a second term as something that mm-hmm. he'd be interested in. But certainly he views himself as the, the, the
4: one person that can defeat Donald Trump again.
3: Wow, I thought everybody could beat Donald Trump. He's such a terrible person. Kevin Walling weighing in. He's a surrogate for the Biden administration, doing what he's supposed to do. Although it's comically, uh, it's comical not to admit uh, which James Carville has admitted and everybody else has basically said behind closed doors and some others in front of the camera that his struggling poll numbers, Joe Biden, his struggling gait, his struggling speech, it makes him vulnerable. And I think even on the real clear average for the first time, Trump actually polls ahead by percentage points of Joe Biden. Josh Krasher joins us now. Fox News Radio political analyst, editor in chief of the Jewish Insider, uh, also Axios. Uh, Josh, uh, welcome back.
9: Brian, great to be back with you.
3: Is is there um, a lot of worry behind closed doors more than you can remember about Joe Biden's ability to get four more years?
9: Oh, I mean, the, the issue of Biden's age and health and ability to serve for a full second term has been the talk privately among Democratic leaders for, for quite some time. I mean, this is nothing new when it comes to polling, when it comes to the re- actuarial reality of what, what Biden um, is, you know, is facing, really something unprecedented to serve uh, into his, uh, I guess, 86 would be, he, he'd be 86 years old at the end of a second term. And um, look, I think Democrats looked at the fact that he actually did have some legislative accomplishments uh, last year, that the economy is getting better. And they kind of Ignored the fact that voters, Democratic voters included, still have very serious concerns about whether he's able to serve for another uh, four years, and that's become louder and louder. The, the, the whispers have now become columns like David Ignatius' David Ignatius's column and, and, and others. Uh, now that the polls show Biden trailing Trump in, in, in some polls, that his approval numbers are basically identical to where Trump is right now. Mm. And now it looks like Biden might be the least electable Democrat, uh, or maybe him and Harris would be among the least electable Democrats uh, when it comes to any, anyone else uh, in the Democratic field that would be looking at See, I
3: think there's a strategy within a strategy. I think that they might be saying we can't get rid of Joe. But maybe there might be a soft landing for Kamala because they prefer to run Joe and say, look, if anything should happen, look at this talented next generation politician as his running mate. Don't worry about it. He or she got it under control. But what happened is Kamala Harris underachieved and underperformed in every way, almost every day. So could they be more looking at a removal of the second over the first?
9: Brian, none of this is easy. I mean, first of all, the party only has so much sway over what happens in the Biden White House. If Biden wants to run for reelection, if if Vice President Harris uh, has the support of the president in running for another term, then it's going to be hard to really change that trajectory. Um, and, the, and the challenge is real. Even if you could kind of wave a magic wand and replace the vice president on the ticket, uh, there would be a lot of anger from Younger voters, from African American voters, who actually look at Harris more favorably. They think she's sort of the liaison to the progressive base with this administration. She's someone who who speaks the language of the left. So you, you'd get a lot of progressives upset, even though they're not the majority of the party. Uh, you'd lose some of that uh, enthusiasm from the base if you pick someone who is a more conventional, perhaps a more a mainstream, center left type of type of running mate. Uh, so there's no good options for for uh, the Biden re-election campaign. I mean, they 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 either um you know stay the course and deal with the the reality that a lot of voters are worried about his age or they shake things up at the last minute and we're we're, we're you know, the filing deadlines in some of the earliest states are are coming up pretty soon and they that would be a big mess, too, Brian, because then you'd have a wide-open primary. You'd have an ideological civil war between Harris and some of the moderates and the progressives within the party. Uh, there's no good options going forward. I think they view going ahead with Biden as probably the least, the path of least resistance and maybe the best chance they have to get a second term.
3: I know in, uh, the theory was you know, if Trump runs it's great news for Democrats, the indictments start rolling in, Trump gets stronger, the debate happens, Trump picks up some numbers. The debate happens, the thing goes on. Now he's beating Biden by one or two points almost every poll, even on the real clear average. Is some of this response, do you think, surprising Democrats about Trump?
9: Yes. I mean, look, I, I have a lot of 2016 vibes when it comes to this election where I can't tell you how many times, even as late as October of 2016, where Democrats, even with all of Hillary Clinton's baggage, and, and it was always noted in the, the polls and the data and everything we, we, we've been seeing, and there was a willful denial that Trump could somehow win that election despite the fact that Hillary Clinton carried a lot of baggage and carried a lot of uh, negative uh, perception of her by by. by Middle of the road voters, and we're seeing sort of a repeat of that, where Biden's numbers are as clear as day to anyone who wants to read polls, and he certainly could lose to Donald Trump, even with the the four indictments. And uh, they they you know they they waited so much, you know they wasted a lot of time throughout the year convincing themselves that there's no way Trump could win. That now they're in a position in September with very little time left. In in, in a sense of panic, and again, I don't know if you're going to see any changes on that ticket because there's not really much you can do after a certain point. The filing deadlines are are done. The the, the damage that would be caused if Biden suddenly left and you'd have a a wide open field fighting amongst themselves, that's not a good outcome either for the Democratic Party. But they they could have probably handled this in a more diplomatic way if they noticed that Biden was was dealing with widespread voter concern uh, about his age, and that's not something that's going to get better uh, as time goes on.
3: So I I understand. Before we talk a little bit about the Senate and the House and and what the issues are that could be straining both, um, can we we talk about the shutdown? We hear this story uh, that came out when I woke up today that uh, House uh, GOP struck an internal deal to avert the shutdown. Will this internal deal among leadership amount to a deal to extend with a CR until October 31st?
9: I I don't think we're close to the point where Republicans are are in agreement. Uh, There there was some talk of a deal between the the Freedom Caucus and the Main Street uh, Coalition of more moderate Republicans, but it's just – it's like herding cats, and uh, you have – McCarthy has done a fairly capable job of trying to find the middle uh, of of that caucus and, and trying to move forward and keep them on the same page politically but all it takes is four or five republicans to really disrupt matters and there are a lot of republicans that are not fans of mccarthy that don't want to kind of play the long game if you will and they want to you know pick some fights over government spending ukraine the funding for uh, the ukraine uh ukraine's war against russia is another hot potato in that republican caucus so boy i think we're we're nowhere near a resolution and it, it, it it's going to take McCarthy to get his team together, his caucus together, before there's any, you know, political movement on whether we can even fund the government and, and, and keep things open in the short term.
3: So let's talk about the Senate. Uh, so far in the Senate, you said it's leaning red uh, because of things like Joe Manchin is vulnerable to governor justice in West Virginia. I think Tim Sheehy has is, is got a great chance against John Tester. What about Congressman Mike Rogers Rogers running for the Senate seat in Michigan? And do you believe that Sherard Brown in Ohio is vulnerable? I have not seen prospective uh Republican opponents.
6: Yeah,
9: so the math is pretty easy for Republicans. Uh Joe Manchin, if, if he retires, uh or if he if he is in a tough race, as it looks like, that that's half the seat all Republicans need really is to net one more seat to get the Senate majority back. And if Manchin you know, I think Democrats acknowledge that if Manchin steps down that that, that race is all but over and then it comes down to Two seats that are seats that Trump won pretty comfortably. Uh, and you mentioned Montana and Ohio, uh, Brian, but there's another uh, five seats in swing states that, that Democrats are defending. And, and Republicans have some Dave McCormick, uh, a businessman, just is scheduled to announce his candidacy this Thursday. He's someone Republicans like Mike Rogers in Michigan, another candidate that is pretty in the mainstream, that, that has won a very tough uh, House district in his past career. So th- they have a, a good lineup of candidates, and all it takes is Republicans to flip two of these eight, seven or eight kind of toss-up type of races. So the the map is good for Republicans. Uh, Trump, the fact that Trump uh, is, a, is a plus in some of the states, not all the states, but some of the redder states, that's a, that's an advantage for Republicans. The really only remaining question is, can they get some of these candidates like Tim Sheehy through primaries? Can they get the best candidates that they like through the primaries and against the Democratic Senate? So
3: you talk about the House, a different story. There's 18 vulnerable seats, and you believe the impeachment inquiry could hurt those seats?
9: Yeah. I mean, look, these are seats that Biden won. So there are 18 House seats that Biden won that Republicans currently hold, and and they can't lose more than a net of five. Uh, Republicans can't. So the math is tough. I mean, the math is tough. And if you talk to Kevin McCarthy, if you talk to his top political advisors, their their notion is they got to keep the team together. If, if, If Republicans break with the leadership, if they go their own way, that's a surefire way to get Get Republicans to to lose in in 2024, but it's also tricky if you're one of these 18 Biden district Republicans who's trying to showcase that you're an independent voice and you're voting on the party line on issues like impeachment or on I think more more significantly the government shutdown or fu- funding debate that's mm. coming up this week. I, so, I, I mean, it's yeah. really a tough. tough I mean, and look, Democrats have some some seats in, in tough territory too, but the map is getting uh, difficult. And look, it, it's hard for any House Republican in a blue district to. You know, these are, the guys, these are the people that voted for Biden in 2020. So you've got to basically both support Biden, but also think that your House Republican mm-hmm. lawmaker is a good, good choice as well.
3: You know, I, I just want to hear Hakeem Jeffries obviously wants to use the term civil war. He kept using it. Cut 10.
9: This is an illegitimate impeachment inquiry. It's a product of the House Republican civil war. Why in the world, in the middle of all the issues that we are trying to tackle, all of the problems that we are trying to solve, On behalf of the American people, would House Republicans inject this illegitimate impeachment inquiry in the middle of us trying to do the business of the American people? It's quite unfortunate. It's wrong. It's distracting.
6: uh, And it should end.
3: So civil war, civil war, civil war. That's going to be the whole thing. These guys can't govern. Let me carry over. I'll take me one vote. I'll be speaker. You're not going to have that drama. That seems to be the strategy.
9: Yeah, I mean, look, rhetoric aside, McCarthy, to borrow a football phrase, he he controls his own destiny. He he can get – I mean, if he can get his party in line, if he can get all but four or five Republicans to stick with the team, then they're in good shape. And we saw this with the battle over over, uh, uh, the debt ceiling uh, debate earlier this year, and and no one thought McCarthy would get all of his Republicans in line behind a unified agenda. He did, at least on the messaging front, and it put a lot of pressure on Democrats to get their side. In line. So, look, the the biggest challenge is, is right now just for McCarthy getting his own team on the same page, agreeing to a set of principles. Once that happens, then McCarthy's in better shape. But if if you have everyone from the right wing going one way and the moderates going another way, and McCarthy can't get the votes to pass a continuing resolution or, or at least the principles behind it, it it's going to be a mess, and they're creating their own own challenges. It doesn't take someone like Jeffries or Pelosi to to say it for them.
3: Right. Um... What about this, this whole notion of it's not good to interview the former president? Uh, Kristen Welker had to, had to justify interviewing the former president on Meet the Press uh, in her first, her first interview in her first week. Uh, Peter Baker is like, yes, it's a tough situation, and we know CNN have basically lost their chief executive because they interviewed Trump. Do they realize he's leading for the nomination, he has got a legitimate shot at being the next president?
9: Yeah, any any interview with a former president, and certainly a former president who's running for president again is a is a newsworthy interview. Anyone would want to get that interview. You ask the tough questions. I I thought, you know, the interview was was were generally well done and uh look, and he he gave the answers. And that that's that's the way these interviews have been done. Politicians have lied, spun, you know, throughout my my decades covering politics. That's nothing new. Trump may have a different approach in terms of how, you know, how how he frames things, but look, getting him on record, having him uh, answer the tough questions that that is what journalists do. And, um, you know, I'm glad to see more of that. Uh, I'd like to see more of that uh, and, and not, not, right. not less interviewing and not less, less coverage.
3: Josh, uh, all I can say is one thing. If you actually do this, what we do for a living, isn't it great to be able to ask somebody who makes decisions, questions. I mean, he sits for Christian Welker. He sits for, uh, he sits for Megan Kelly. He, you know, sat down. He doesn't just sit down with Sean Hannity. He sits down with, does an hour on CNN This is a guy that would take your questions. You might not like his answers. but take your questions. Why are they so quiet, the Washington press corps, that Trump, that uh, Biden is never available, never as pressers, never gives interviews?
9: Yeah. I mean, look, you want to get your questions answered by one of the leading politicians in this Election, so I, I I don't know any journalism wouldn't want to have that interview to ask the tough tough questions, but you know I think actually it's an interesting political dynamic in the primary because Trump has actually been very accessible, uh, surprisingly so to some to some folks um, in, in in his campaign this time around, whereas DeSantis for a while was sort of not taking questions for even you know from 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 folks like NBC and and CNN and so on. So you know I think tr- talking to the press and actually getting his message out there in in, in the eyes of the Trump campaign has been beneficial it's good to get you to talk to the press and to have the back and forth that's part of a healthy democracy and DeSantis for a long time didn't want to have those types of conversations and I don't think it helped them politically
3: right and so far that we have a debate next week I don't know if they're going to have eight again I think we're up to six and you got to wonder Mayor Suarez when he didn't break through and Larry Elder when he didn't break through they seem to have disappeared from the scene do you think if you don't make the debate stage on the twenty seventh, you're basically done?
9: Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think frankly there are some candidates who um, are big names, but don't have enough support in the Republican Party right now. And like a, Christie is, is a good example, where yeah, you know, look, he does have a play in New Hampshire, but um, you know, just the metrics that the RNC is looking at for qualification to the stage, um, it, it, you know, Trump is not not going to be there. And uh, we're looking at only a few people, I think, in that field that have the, the chance to oust Trump from that front-running position. And you can't be anti-Trump and, and win the Republican nominations. So I think after this this uh, California debate at the Reagan Library, there's going to be a winnowing down of that field. But the big right. the big question is the elephant in the room. Trump is still the front-runner. He's the, the, the clear front-runner. And until someone makes a run, uh, he's going to hold that position for, for quite some time,
3: right? And and the other networks will have to embarrass themselves and actually interview him if he says yes. Josh Kraschak, Fox News Radio, Putiglano Axios Jewish Insider. Thanks so much, Josh. Thanks, Brian. All right, one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. I'll finish with your calls. I see you up there, Brian Kilmeade. Show.
2: Learning something new every day on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show.
3: All right, guys. Um, thanks so much for listening. Keep in mind, go to com. Teddy and Booker T. comes out uh, November 7th. But on November 9th, i will be over in New Jersey. I hope to see everybody with me uh, out there. And I'll be in uh, Alabama. I got two stops there. Uh I'll be in Pittsburgh. It's going to be great. Missouri and Michigan. It's going to be fantastic. Ron, KSLM. Uh, you're in Salem, Oregon. What's on your mind?
6: Dollar fifty cost my fuel, my diesel fuel at twenty two miles a gallon for my pickup. Second point is, they they by the administration does not want to address the crime. They do not want to address. They want to possibly make sure we talk about COVID, and yet they have for, they don't want to talk issues. Hakeem Jeffries, I'm Native American, Black American. I've served my country. I don't care about color. What I do care about is equal application of the law. And I care about this more empowerment for ourselves since Biden has cut off releases and oil supplies in Alaska in less than three weeks. It has pushed my fuel prices up. My food yep. prices
1: going back up.
6: So,
3: Ron, do you be- know anybody in your life that voted for Biden has seen everything that you've seen from crime to the economy to this green push and printing money we don't have in order to finance it that has changed their mind about him?
6: Um uh, from California and down the San Joaquin and the valleys up here in Oregon, Umqua and the Willamette Valley, yes, eyes are opening, but we hope so. the Republicans got to get a backbone and they must give a message and a plan.
3: Gotcha. Uh, Ryan, you make a lot of sense. Hopefully Ron McDaniel was listening, at least Speaker McCarthy.